and his name is the devil. And I want to, right now, to take authority over the enemy that God has given us, authority, and that nothing can be done to hinder what you're going to learn the next couple of weeks, and that all, that all Hades that breaks loose as we begin to open up and to give understanding of what Peter wants us to know is uh, that we can take a hold of that and destroy the works of the enemy through our faith and walk in uh, the, all of God's blessings. Join hands with your brothers and sisters. We're in this together as a church. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for the anointing of, on your word. Lord, as your son, as your servant, I desire that the word that are spoken will absolutely pierce to the depth of our spirit. And I thank you, Lord, for that. But now, in Jesus' name, I take my rightful authority as pastor of this church, and I tell you, Satan, you have no place in any area of our lives. And we bind it now, and we loose the power and the anointing of the word of God, that the word was sent to bring healing and restoration in every area. You do not have our families. You do not have our homes. You do not have our finances. God, you have it all. We give it to you in signification of returning our tithe to you that our finances are yours. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Point to your neighbor and say, you're victorious. God bless you as you are seated. As you well know, we've been talking about the two keys to becoming an excited and extravagant giver. But today we want to begin a mini-series in this series called Living Among Your Adversary. Living Among Your Adversary. I'm not talking about your spouse. Now we began many weeks ago by seeing the Apostle Paul was writing the Corinthian church with the purpose of removing any objections to giving. Giving is the, the kingdom lifestyle that produces all the fruit that God has desired for us to produce. By the way, as you see on the platform here, you see all of our centerpieces <clears throat> from yesterday with the men's ministry as we packed out the learning center area. And men got together and loved one another and loved Jesus. Also, uh, in the offering, uh, was collected uh, $1,231 for uh, the bikes and the toys for the children. So you can give all the men a great hand. <clears throat> and I love these centerpieces because it goes right along with what I'm going to be bringing to you today and next week. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, let's go back over the scripture again. In verse 6 through 8, Paul writing to the Corinthian church, trying to remove the objections that they have of giving. And we look back and we say, <clears throat> excuse me, we say, wow, you know, they must have been really bad because they had Paul there and they still struggle with that. But you know what? We struggle in areas of our life too. God places you in a job <clears throat> and your boss is mean. But God placed you there to be that, that minister that can give into that boss that they can see rightfully who God really is. But we struggle and we object to having a mean boss. And we look at the outside circumstance, <clears throat> bring in the outside circumstance as things that it's not right, it's not fair, and Paul is trying to bring us to an understanding of kingdom lifestyle. Verse 6 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves <laughs> a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all 
sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. We broke down the two keys that will give you a solid base to overcome these objections. Excuse me. First of all, is we understood that to understand the living nature of money is this. When you give in the kingdom, what you give will meet you in the future. Many people struggle in their future because in their present, they're not giving. Because they're walking in unforgiveness, because they're angry. They go to bed uh, with anger. Thank you. And, And the reality that we have to recognize is is that we are the ones that set up our future. God has already planned it, but we're the ones that make it happen through giving. Second of all is that we are to understand the loving nature of God. Many people don't give because they're angry at God. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it says, The Lord your God... In your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. We found last week that in the Hebrew, God rejoices over you with a shout of joy. You look at yourself, and, and, and you don't think that, that God can do anything with you. <clears throat> And I'm telling you that God rejoices over you. Matter of fact, how that happens on a regular basis in your life is that you begin to worship. You begin to be a worshiper. In Zephaniah 3 verse 14, it's called a parallel. It says, sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of of Jerusalem. We describe to you, it's a poetry of song, In our right concept of God, as we come to him in worship, he sings over us. So as we sing a verse, no matter how bad our voice is, God sings this beautiful song of love towards us. God loves you. God sings over you. That's the God that we serve. And the enemy has has tried to lie, and he's done a very good job, not only with people of the outside, as Scripture would say, but people even in the church that live in anger and live in bitterness and and struggle in their life and every area of their life because they've just allowed life and the things that the enemy has done and put in front of them, allowed that to bring bitterness and anger to the point where they stop giving. And it's not just about money, but it has a lot to do with money. Your money, how you work with your money is will show you exactly where you are at spiritually, where you're at in your giving life. Just like Israel in Jeremiah 29, they're going into captivity. Any one of us would be like this if we don't understand God, if we don't understand who God is. They were in rebellion of God. They were, God was warning them over and over and over and over and over, and I could say that a hundred more times, warning them of their rebellion. And finally, because of their actions, not because of God, because of their actions, they were sent into captivity. When the Bible says that God did this, the Bible is saying that God set the order of the kingdom. If you live in the kingdom this way, you will receive the benefit. But if you don't live this way, then this is what's going to happen to you because we forget we have an adversary. We have an enemy that hates us, and we need to understand that, and we are in a battle. We are at war, and that's why I love these these, uh, uh, centerpieces for the men's breakfast is that, and, and it's the Word of God. It's the truth of the Word of God and how we use the Word of God that will break that. So just like Jerusalem in Jeremiah 29, 11 God was telling them, and we look at it, we say, oh, great, yeah, God's heart is to really, he's saying, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of the difficulty you're facing, you got to understand God saying, I don't change, I love you, and I will take you back to where I have planned for you to prosper, and I will recalculate. I will bring you back to this place. But they were speaking all the negativity 
of why God did this and why God did that, and God didn't do anything except set the standard for them to live so it opens the door for him to prosper them. But they were in rebellion of it. So there is hope when you understand God. But the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about you and your family. I want to talk about you and your life. In, in 1 Peter chapter 5, if you would turn to that, Peter was a leader of leaders amongst the apostles, and Peter had much experience with the devil too, because a matter of fact, we find in Scripture that Jesus said that Satan asked permission to sift Peter like wheat. Peter struggled at times, but obviously he learned how to have victory in these attacks. And obviously that Peter had to remind himself of the very truth of that God is a loving God and that God has set the standard in the kingdom of God and it is giving. Every time that Peter uh, makes a mistake in the New Testament, you find him not giving. You find him being selfish. You find him being a person that, that is, is not doing it kingdom way. And because of that, there's a result that's not kingdom life. That's not God life. <clears throat> so what we are about to read is Peter explaining how he learned to have victory. Where at the beginning, he'd make a lot of mistakes, but how he learned to have victory. How many of you have made some mistakes in your life? <clears throat> How many of you have gotten into rebellion? How many of you have blamed God for things that weren't his fault? You know, we could raise our hands all the time and say, I do this all the time. And a lot of times we have until we really learn the truth. So look at verse 8 and 9. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. <clears throat> Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We all face the same devil. We all face the same stuff. Some of us understand this process and we take authority over it. Some of us don't know about it and the enemy comes in and brings destruction in areas of our life until we learn the truth. So Peter is writing here, he's saying, I want every one of you to know this so that you don't have to face the things that I face. You don't have to face the consequence of the things that I did when I just became a bitter non-giver. What he's telling us, in order to have a sustainable life, a sustainable spiritual life, we must understand what he wrote. He said, we have a predator in our lives all the time. We have a predator. So let me explain, Satan is not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time. Satan has demons, though, powers of darkness that do his bidding for him, and they are all around the world. What Peter is saying here is you're, you're, you're being stalked by a predator. And he uses a terminology like a roaring lion. This enemy is one you don't see. That's why he's so dangerous. And Peter says, be sober and vigilant, and we're going to explain that in a moment, but I just want to say this to you, that we need to get up and we just need to do something. We need to start something in the kingdom of God and open up our hearts and be that giver and be that one that removes that bitterness and does those things. But I want you to hear this message from a gentleman uh, who's in the military, and I want you to hear, he's saying, get up and start and do something and you will win. Watch this. So if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. <laughs> if you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride, and it will encourage you to do another task, and another, and another. And by the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed, 
Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. And if by chance you have a miserable day, you will come home to a bed that is made. That you made. And a made bed gives you encouragement that tomorrow will be better. To pass SEAL training, there are a series of long swims that must be completed. One is the night swim. Before the swim, the instructors joyfully brief the students on all the species of sharks that inhabit the waters off San Clemente. They assure you, however, that no student has ever been eaten by a shark, at least not that they can remember. But you are also taught that if a shark begins to circle your position, stand your ground. Do not swim away. Do not act afraid. And if the shark, hungry for a midnight snack, darts towards you, then summons up all your strength and punch him in the snout, and he will turn and swim away. There are a lot of sharks in the world. If you hope to complete the swim, you will have to deal with them. So if you want to change the world, don't back down from the sharks. Over a few weeks of difficult training, my SEAL class, which started with 150 men, was down to just 42. There were now six boat crews of seven men each. I was in the boat with the tall guys, but the best boat crew we had was made up of the little guys, the Munchkin crew, we called them. No one was over five foot five. The Munchkin boat crew had one American Indian, one African American, one Polish American, one Greek American, one Italian American, and two tough kids from the Midwest. They out paddled, outran, and outswam all the other boat crews. The big men in the other boat crews would always make good-natured fun of the tiny little flippers the munchkins put on their tiny little feet prior to every swim. But somehow these little guys from every corner of the nation and the world always had the last laugh, swimming faster than everyone and reaching the shore long before the rest of us. SEAL training was a great equalizer. Nothing mattered but your will to succeed, not your color, not your ethnic background, not your education, not your social status. If you want to change the world, measure a person by the size of their heart, not by the size of their flippers. The ninth week of training is referred to as Hell Week. It is six days of no sleep, constant physical and mental harassment, and one special day at the Mud Flats. The Mud Flats are an area between San Diego and Tijuana where the water runs off and creates the Tijuana Sloughs, a swampy patch of terrain where the mud will engulf you. It is on Wednesday of Hell Week that you paddle down in the mud flats and spend the next 15 hours trying to survive this freezing cold, the howling wind, and the incessant pressure to quit from the instructors. As the sun began to set that Wednesday evening, my training class, having committed some egregious infraction of the rules, was ordered into the mud. The mud consumed each man till there was nothing visible but our heads. The instructors told us we could leave the mud if only five men would quit. Only five men, just five men, and we could get out of the oppressive cold. Looking around the mud flat, it was apparent that some students were about to give up. It was still over eight hours till the sun came up. Eight more hours of bone-chilling cold. The chattering teeth and the shivering moans of the trainees were so loud it was hard to hear anything. And then one voice began to echo through the night. One voice raised in song. The song was terribly out of tune, but sung with great enthusiasm. One voice became two, and two became three, and before long, everyone in the class was singing. The instructors threatened us with more time in the mud if we kept up the singing, but the singing persisted, and somehow the mud seemed a little warmer and the wind a little tamer, and the dawn not so far away. If I have learned anything in my time traveling the world, it is the power of hope. The power of one person, a Washington, a Lincoln, King, Mandela, and even a young girl from Pakistan, Malala. One person can change the world by giving people hope. So if you want to change the world, start each day with a task completed. Find someone to help you through life. Respect everyone. Know that life is not fair and that you will fail often. 
But if you take some risks, step up when the times are the toughest, face down the bullies, lift up the downtrodden, and never, ever give up, if you do these things, the next generation and the generations that follow will live in a world far better than the one we have today. And what started here will indeed have changed the world for the better. Some of you want to quit. That's why we come together and we worship God. And we teach you the truth of the Word of God. Some of you think that it's not fair. But we're all facing the same thing, the same enemy. But let me give you some good news. The devil is looking for someone he may devour, but we have something to say about this issue. Whatever you face in life, the devil does not have automatic permission to devour you. The word may is used in verse 8. The word may is permission. So listen closely. Jesus defeated the devil on the cross. In Luke 10, 19, it says, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Power is the word authority. Question is this. Why are so many Christians being harmed? Why are so many marriages being torn apart? Why are so many families being destroyed? Why are so many bad things happening to God's people? The answer is we forget. We are living in a wartime. We forget we are living among an enemy. In church, I want you to know this. There are roaring lions right outside your door. They want you. They want your children. They want your destiny. Jesus said this, John 10, 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Peter is reminding us of this. And what Peter tells us is we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You find this in 1 Peter. We're a holy nation, and we are a people for God's own possession. We are of royal blood, and this royalty we are to live. And in this royalty, we are to make our bed. A great threat to that happening is the devil. And if you're not aware of him, if you don't understand what he tries to do, then you will be tripped up, as Peter is explaining of his own life. You see, the relationship you, you and I have with God is a love story, but gives us two things we need to know for God's plans to be sustainable. Peter tells us, first of all, be sober. It means to have control of yourself. The opposite of sober is to be drunk. A drunk is not in control of the way they walk or even talk. So let me see the, say this. The issue of sobriety is not legalism either. If you will live perfect, then everything will be fine. That's not what we're talking about. You can live, matter of fact, we're going to learn the more you live perfect, the harder it will become. Now, God wants us to have fun. In Psalm 1611, he says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God's a fun God. But the way most people look at God, he's an ogre. He's the one that causes the hurricane. He's the one that causes the earthquake. He's the one that caused the death here and there. But God is a God of pleasure. God is a God of fun. I believe living for God is the most fun way to live. 
When you do it God's way, it's the most fun way to live. But the enemy wants to tell you, your adversary says you, it's boring being in church. It's boring. And you know what? At times it's boring being in your home. It's boring being in your job. It's boring at Disneyland. See, the enemy's getting you right there. (laughs) Living for God, that's the most fun way to live. How do you do that? I stay in control of my passions. Sobriety. Anything we are out of control, the devil is in control of. When you lose control of something in your life, your personal life, when you lose control of something, that area is called a bondage, an addiction, or a compulsion. It becomes a leash that the devil may control our lives. So let me make a statement now. If we're going to be safe from the devil... It simply means this, we can have fun, but we must stay in control of our passions and our desires. The second thing Peter says is to be vigilant. To be vigilant. It means be watchful with a wartime mentality. You are at war with the enemy. It simply means when you are walking in the path of life God has called you, that you are aware of the environment you are in. Peter is saying we don't have to fear the devil. We don't have to have have our joy robbed and the things of our life destroyed by the devil if we are simply aware of this spiritual enemy. To be aware that these things happen that the enemy is out there, seeking whom he may. The word may is that we give him permission. Not seeking whom he can, seeking whom he may. We're the ones that give him permission. How do we give permission? Is we give permission by becoming bitter and allowing the open door for him to come in and sift us like weak that we stop being givers, we stop forgiving, we, we walk around in unforgiveness, we walk around in bitterness, we have a, our own ideas and ideology about life, and it's not matched up with the Word of God, and we open the door. The enemy hates your guts. God loves your guts. Amen. Amen. And we have to understand that. So Peter gives us three reasons why we are to be sober and vigilant. The number one reason to be aware of the devil is the devil is your adversary. He is opposite of everything God desires for you. Now I know most of you are loving, well let me say, I know all of you are loving and peaceable. And you have nothing to do with the truth that the devil hates your guts. See, the devil hates your guts because he's a hater. You can't get on the devil's side. He hates you. You can't do bad enough for him to like who you are. He hates you. You can murder 500 people And he hates you because you didn't do 501. He's a total opposite of God's love. And he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So hear me out. One of the most powerful beings in the universe despises you. I didn't say he had authority. People say... You know, I'm a good person. I'm just trying to live a good life. The better you are, the more he hates. And Peter's trying to get you and me to recognize this and to understand why 
you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off and you fly off the handle on Sunday afternoon at 10.45, right after church, and you prayed for someone and they got healed, and you got in the car and someone cut you off and you blankety-blankety-blankety-blank. And you want to push them off the road. Why did I, why did I do this? Where did this come from? First of all, you got a roaring lion. Second of all, we've opened the door in areas of our lives for certain things to push our buttons. Are you with me? <laughs> I love you, Pastor, but this is pretty. Thank you. I was waiting for you to finish that sentence. I want you to say this with me. I have an adversary, and he wants to destroy me. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he's opposite of God. Second reason to be sober and vigilant is the devil prowls around. The devil is an active enemy. And let me just say this to you. The devil is not waiting for you to go to his turf. He is coming to your turf. He's coming to your turf. He is constantly looking for an entry point to gain into our lives. He's a prowler. So what a prowler does, he checks out the house. He looks for an entry point. You may have 10 locks on your front door, but there's a back window that he could get through. You may have done all these different things, but there's a certain area of your life that you have just said, uh-uh, I'm not going to be abused anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. This is not going to happen in my life anymore. And if anybody ever tries this, they're going to hear from me. And you're bitter in that area. You're angry in that area. And that's the entry point. The enemy can come in and bring destruction. You have to release it. You have to forgive. Forgiveness is for the forgiver, not the forgivee. Amen. See, Jesus forgave for those that did wrong. It's a done deal. And so now when there's forgiveness, it's for you. He is constantly looking for that entry point because, again, he's a prowler. These are demonic forces and spiritual wickedness that is always there. Peter is saying, hey, whether you see them or not, they're around. Whether you're very spiritual or not, they're there. The third reason, Peter says, to be sober and vigilant, and we'll close with this in this point. The devil is seeking someone he may devour. <laughs> Let me just tell you this. The devil's not a snacker either. He's a devourer. His utmost desire is to totally destroy every aspect of your life. And the thing that we have to understand, he has no authority to do that. He has no ability to do that unless we open the door. Not our neighbor, not our spouse, not our boss, we. Peter is trying to get us into an awareness, and he's saying this, you look around and there is so much carnage in this world, carnage in marriages, families, people, so many innocent people that are not aware of this reality. Peter has seen that. Peter has seen the, the devastation of the Romans. He's seen the devastation of of wartime. He's seen all the different things. And he says, I want you to understand, I want you to be aware that you have authority over this enemy, that you have power. And we're going to learn much of that next week. But I want you to understand, 
church, that you have this happening and we don't even think we have this happening and that's why bad things happen to good people. Church, you have a call of God on your life. The Bible tells us that we have a destiny and a grace that flows through us. That you have a special purpose. And that purpose is so amazing. God planned it. God planned it. Before the creation of this earth, it was in God. And in your mother's womb, he set it down. He wrote it down. Everything about who you are was a done deal. But because you have that purpose, that you are created in the image and the likeness of God, you are a target of the enemy. Today, we, we slapped him in the face when we tithed and we gave. Today, we slapped him in the face when we had a rough week, a miserable week, but we came to church and the first song, we raised our hands and we worshiped him. We told the enemy he has no authority over us. No matter what the world is, is what's going on in the world, with the chaos of the world, or what someone said at work, we slapped them in the face because we do not allow that stuff to change who we are. We are a child of God. We're sons and daughters of God. You don't need to fear the devil. Quite a few years ago, I talked about the nature of lions, and I'm not going to, to bring you the whole picture. But I began by talking about how my brother went on a safari, and the safari was around wild animals, and they had the place, their camp, and they would have their, their little cabin, and uh, the first thing they did uh, when they got there was they had them sign a waiver if they were killed by an animal, the safari company was not held responsible. Fun vacation, huh? And they said things like this, if you do what we say, you will be fine and no harm will come to you. We know how the lions are. We know how animals act. Then they said, if you don't do what we say, you may be killed. <laughs> I was talking to a guy uh, at, at a club, but a friend came in. It wasn't at the club, but it was at a store, and I saw this guy from the club, and they were talking about the safari the guy just went on. He, he was talking about the same thing. And he had the same experience my brother had. And signs at the camp said this, stay in control and be alert. Have you ever seen somebody, uh, a child around a spider? Tell that child to stay in control, especially when it's crawling on its arm. You ever see my wife with a spider on her arm? <laughs> stay in control and be alert. I want you, church, listen to me, and then I'll continue. Because of the victory God gave us 2,000 years ago, you can live among lions. You'll be happy, you'll be safe, and live the rest of your days enjoying your dreams. But we resist the devil by being sober and vigilant, understanding how the devil operates. So here's what they taught my brother regarding the lions, which is true of the devil. He's, he's depicted as a roaring lion. Lions are nocturnal. They're creatures of the night. The rules of the camp, during the day, you walk anywhere you want, but at night, the animals come in, and it's their camp. Don't leave your room without an armed guard. So listen to the story. Uh, another camp, this guy that I was talking to, uh, the family was in their cabin, and the guard was late coming to get him for dinner. And as you well know, there's no phones. 
The iPhone didn't work there. So the father stepped out on the porch to look for the guard to take them to dinner because they were hungry. Kids were complaining. So the wife said, get in the house. You know what they said. Well, he did that twice and finally the guard, same thing happened to my brother. Finally, the guard came and said, sorry, I was late, but a leopard was on your porch and I had to wait. The dude was standing on the porch looking for the armed guard and the leopard was licking his chops. That's because in the kingdom of God, there are kingdom rules. And we need to understand that the enemy is in darkness. We may call it sin. So the night belongs to the devil. I'm not talking when the sun goes down. The night belongs to the devil. When we are in the light, we are safe. And when we step into darkness, we are in danger. When we decide that the rules of God's kingdom are not for us on that day, we open the door for the enemy to come in and to sift us like wheat. But, but, but Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. He did, but he gave you the authority to live it. And he gave you the authority to live by the rules. The reason pe people fall, we think we can sin and be safe. The darkness is the devil's domain, and the Bible never refutes that. It's his domain. Do not go outside in the darkness without an armed guard, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Do not go into places where you can be held in bondage. Do not go into those places that you can open the door for the enemy. There's wisdom in the Word of God. And people do the same things and expect different results all the time. And when there's a change that needs to happen in our life, it's not about everyone else around us changing, about us, it's about us changing first. And a lot of times that bitterness, that root of bitterness, is bringing destruction in your life and everything that you touch. When you become a giver. You know, one of my, my biggest buttons that, that uh, the enemy wants to push in me is that, that my whole life I've been a giver. I want to help people. It's my call. It's my anointing. But in areas of, there are sometimes that it just when I see people abusing that. They don't have one iota of care about that person that's helping them. They just care about themselves. I will bend over backwards. I'll go day and night to help people. And the one thing that I have to fight, I have to get on my face before God and say, God, is this me or is this you? Because sometimes I want to grab a person and Throw them somewhere. <gasps> Pastor, you? Uh-huh, and I got a pretty good arm, too. It's because I see the abuse of people, the selfishness that is out there. But when you become an excited, extravagant giver, then what happens, it removes that. But I still have to battle that. There are times I'll just, I just like, I want to say something. That's nothing, I'm sitting there and watching two people talk and I'm just seeing it and I just want to grab the one and say, get over here. A lot of you are the same way. But we have to get to a place where we are led of the Holy Spirit in our giving. You find people who manipulate other people. 
These people, they do wrong, but they manipulate others, others to make them feel like they're the wrong. And they know that they're wrong, but they don't want to admit it because they're selfish. It's all about them. It's all about their life. It's all about, give me money, give me this, give me that. I deserve this. We don't deserve anything. We don't deserve anything. Get up and make your bed. And if all Hades breaks loose all day long, at least you can come home to your bed being made that you made and rest in that. We all wrestle with sin. We struggle. And we are asking God to forgive but we need to walk towards the light. You see, forgiveness is not, is, is when you say, you know, please forgive me, it also, when you do that, true forgiveness or getting forgiveness is that you begin to walk towards the light. You begin to change. Don't justify darkness. Well, he said, she said, he did, she did. Don't justify that. We walk in the justification of God. God justifies us. And, and, and he is the one that went to the cross. He is the one that did that. Don't justify yourself. Because you've opened the door to the roaring lion to come in and, and to destroy, to kill, steal, and to destroy. Church, it is there. We have to be aware of this. The Holy Spirit last Monday said, I want you to tell them this. I want them to know this. They're hearing the truth. They know the word of God. You've been teaching them. Discipleship is happening from women to men, OSL, all the different things. We are growing spiritually, all that. He says, but I want you to tell them there is an adversary. He is there and he hates your guts. Proverbs 10.9 says, he who walks with integrity walks securely. But he who perverts his ways will become known. John three nineteen through 21. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For every, everyone practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they may be done in God. Ephesians 5, verse 8 and 10 and 11. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. It's not talking about telling on everybody else. It's talking about exposing yours. Well, how do you expose it? You expose it to the Lord. Let him deliver you from that bondage. Let him deliver you from those things so that you no longer walk in that area, that you walk in the light, that you are walking as a giver. The sign of someone who's been delivered is one that is a giver. Church, be careful the way you live. Be careful you don't lose your marriage. Be careful you don't lose your family. Be careful you don't lose your health. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Let me read that again. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. To some, the enemy has said, you can bring more blessing on your life by you handling your money. So keep it. Don't give. Don't tithe. But it's the blessings of the Lord that makes one rich. Some in here might be thinking, well, you don't know what so-and-so has done to me. No, I don't. I don't, but God does. But God is asking you to walk in the integrity of the light. He's asking you to rise up and do the right thing. He's asking you. 
You know, as a pastor, 37 years of ministry, what a pleasure it has been being a pastor. And I think I got at least another 10 years to go before I semi-retire. And my semi-retire is, you know how big a semi is? But in all those years, selfishness breaks my heart. Selfishness breaks God's heart. It's not what you have that you give. It's giving what you have. It's having a heart of God. It's desiring the right thing. It's when your thoughts are evil towards someone. That's not God. That's the enemy. People will try to sway you through doctrinal stuff. You know, they know better than someone else. They're idiots. They're teaching false doctrine. All kinds of people will come to you. They'll look like they're God himself. But you watch their life. You watch their life. They're, they've got people always around them making sure they're okay, giving to them. They're not doing anything on their own. They're trying to make something of themselves. And you get to a place in life where you begin to look around and you say, oh my Lord, the people of this world are a mess. <laughs> yeah, they are. But thank you, Lord, for fixing our mess. But the only way to live it is to be an excited, extravagant giver in every area of our life. And understanding that even though you can be on top of your spiritual world, you have an adversary seeking whom he may devour. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about the authority we have and how we can step into not only the giving aspect, but in that giving, defeat every work that the enemy has tried to accomplish in your life. You have the ability to win in every area. But what you got to do is you got to get up in the morning and you got to begin to do these things and make your bed. Let's all stand.